I'm kind of excited and nervous about today. Um, to be honest, um, God downloaded a lot of this message to me weeks ago. So I had a head start on it, and I was really getting a roll of where I thought everything was coming together. And then this whole week, uh, Satan was trying to bombard that and take it away and try to make me like, you should quit preaching altogether, but you know, you should just quit all of this. And I mean, he was nonstop. So anytime he fights that hard, I'm thinking, well, it must be a good message. Not that, you know, not that I will deliver it or whatever. It's not about my delivery, but it must be good words that God wants people to hear that Satan's scared to death of that happening. So anyway, that's just a little honest moment of it was not easy, <laughs> and, uh, but it's exciting at the same time because I deeply care about it. So we're going to start with a, uh, put a quote on our screen up there. And the quote is, the, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians, will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. And that's from Dallas Willard, who is one of my favorite theologians, who I was sad that passed away years ago because now I can only hear recordings of him or or read books that he already read. I don't get to hear new, fresh material. So the question Dallas proposes, you know, it's kind of a question in there. I mean, he puts it like a statement, but it's really asking the, the question, you know, are we going to say yes? You know, it, it, that, that question matches our vision that we're trying to say or, uh, for our church. Are we going to say yes? Do we want to be followers of Jesus? Do we want to be disciples? Are we going to be his apprentice? And not just for knowledge, but to practice, to be practitioners of Jesus Christ to live the life of the kingdom of God into every corner of our human existence. And that is our heart here. And that's what I hope... That's what I hope we're striving for. And so, with that being our hope and our vision here, that's what we're in the middle of a sermon series in that is focusing on the life of Jesus to learn from him how do we actually do this thing. And it's called Follow Me, the Life and Love of Jesus. Well, let's pray again before I get going any further. Holy Spirit, please be with me. Help me speak only your words. Lead us into the truth that you have for us today. And just bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So today, 
when we think about following Jesus' example, what we're going to, to look at is following his example of love. <clears throat> so have you ever tried to follow Jesus on your own strength? I have. You know, when I was raised in church and I was told one of the parts of being a Christian, a new Christian, is that I am supposed to witness to people or I'm supposed to uh, make disciples of all nations. And I had no training in that and no idea. So uh, that was awkward if I ever tried that. You know, it was awkward to think, oh, well, how do you talk to someone and say, hey, but that's because I had a big portion missing. It's the great commission that where Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. That was the last thing Jesus said to his followers before he left, the very last thing. So it was an important thing if, like, what's the last thing I should say? That, it was important, but he had spent with his, the disciples right there that had been following that whole time, the 12, you know, he had, he had spent years teaching them the love of God and teaching them and building up this why inside of them and in this this connection with the Father and Him so strong that they could do that out of that place with Jesus' love. It wasn't based upon, well, this is something I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to try to do it. Because that don't work. I mean, at least it doesn't work for me. I don't know about you, but the doing it because I should do it. Well, anyway, that's one of the first things Jesus talked about. Uh, so let's look at Matthew 5. Jesus talking about love. He kind of was... In the, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. He was kind of showing everyone, this is what has been said before about how to live. And this is what some theologians have told you in the past. This is what you, you need to do. But then he's like, but I'm taking it up even a harder, you know, to a higher level than that. But it's not a level you can reach on your own. It's a, it's a level in God is the only way you're going to do that. So, Matthew 5, verse 43, he says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Well, let's pause right there for a second. How good are you at that? How good am I at loving my enemy? I mean, that's a radical statement. Love your enemy. Enemies. Can I love my enemies without God inspiring me to love my enemies? I mean, the answer is no for me. Anyway, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's another good one. Persecute you. God, make them have a good day, the ones that persecuted me. This is a, a, a neat verse here. He says that you may be children of your Father in heaven. It's like you are connected as his child. It's like you have a deeper understanding. You have a better connection if you understand loving like that. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So this is a difficult verse right here. I just got to pause there. We get taught, you know, the Bible shows many examples of you reap what you sow. You do something negative, and then you have consequences. He's not saying that doesn't happen. But he says how the Father tries to do what he does is he just loves. 
He loves you when you're evil. And I've been evil. And he's loved me there. And he loves the other evil person that's being evil to you right now. He loves them the same exact way. Regardless of their blocking that with their decisions, that's, that's not the point. The point is he loves them so much that he treats them equally. And again, if you do things that cause blessing, that, receive, that allow receiving his blessings, it's going to look like you're getting treated better because you've received stuff that you, you allowed him to love you, so you received it. But when you don't receive it, it's not that he didn't try or he loved you any less. So it goes the same way with the other people. Little extras in my... 46... If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Yes, they are. <laughs> and hey, I mean, I, I think we, the word tax collector, we just don't take that hard enough. You know, our modern taxes all, already comes out. We don't have someone knocking on our door saying, and by the way, 10 extra bucks than what you paid last time, and that's going in their pocket. I mean, they are hated, and he's saying, hey, they love like that. So if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. So in other words, you're not, you're not living out of the love of God if you're just being nice to the people that are nice to you. How does God love? He loves big. Our understanding of how big God's love is, so here's a math formula, is directly proportional to how big our influence on the world will be. I will say that again. Our, our understanding, your understanding of how big God's love is, is directly proportional to how big your influence on the world will be and my influence on the world will be. And we'll come back to that later. We'll uh, check out Ephesians has something a little bit about that. So I'm going to go kind of rapid fire through a couple, uh, some verses. We're going to do a lot of uh, scripture reading today. So thank you, Chrissy Knapp, for putting all that in the computer for me. So thank you, media team. So it's a lot of work to get this much stuff on the computer. So John 5.19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you'll be amazed. And they were amazed. A couple important things I want you to see in that passage real quick is how Jesus is established in the Father's love. You know, he's, he's rooted, he's established in it deeply. And, and he, that makes him be able to see what God is doing and join him. You know, Marie preached a, a, a month ago now, just about, and then, uh, and she was talking about Jesus's identity. He knew from a child that he was loved by God. So that was the beginning, and that only grew deeper. He becomes so established in that, 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 that union gave him all of these abilities to just join God in what he was doing. 
Let's look at John 13 in verse 34. Talking about love again, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think he, uh, he was trying to get a point across. When you say something three times in two sentences, right? He made a love one another sandwich for us to feed on. So... Um, so, the big question, does the world, the world out there that's not Christian, do they know who the Christians are by how, how well we are loving each other, as Jesus just said he hoped? No one yelled yes real loud, right? I mean, how good are we doing at loving one another? I think we've got some work to do. Yes, by one person at a time, loving one another. And it's by understanding. It's by understanding who they are and how God loves them, and I can love, but God has to be loving through me. Let's look at John 14. So, clearly, John is a book full of love. Verse 8, and Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, and this is us, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So in, in this one, he takes it up a notch. He just shows us how following Jesus can look. Jesus is clearly established in love of the Father. And God's working through his human body. And he said, you know, if we believe in him, we'll be doing the same thing. Quickly to John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Can you see the progression Jesus is building here? He showed us how God loves all and God loves him and how he was so established in God's love. And now he's shown us that we can be like him. We can be established. We can be rooted and established in his love and love the way he has and have the love like he has with the Father. And he sums this up just two chapters later, John 17, 20. My prayer is not for them alone. So that was his disciples, not just for his disciples he's talking about. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, which is us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I've been given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's his prayer. Jesus wants us to make disciples, but his definition of a disciple right here is someone who has figured out that God the Father sent Jesus because he loved them. I think that's beautiful. God wants us to know his love. So now we're going to go to Ephesians, as I said earlier, that will kind of tie this all together. Ephesians 3. Paul understood all this. He, he got the whole picture of Jesus and, and wanted to uh, teach that. So in verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp. So you, being established in love, can grasp how wide, long, and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So here it is. He's like, number one, you gotta you gotta be immersed. You gotta be rooted in God's love. You gotta be, I mean, that takes a while. You gotta soak in to even believe. It's hard to believe because Satan's always telling you you're not loved, right? I mean, that is your your first identity. You're a lo- loved by God. And Satan's like always trying to bring shame and saying, well, God only likes you if you're good, you know, not God loves you so much all the time. But he's saying once you're established in it, then you can start to grasp. You know, his prayer is that that gives you power to grasp and understand how big is God's love. How big is Christ's love? If we can grasp that, then we can be filled to the measure. We can be completely filled with the fullness of God. It's like God, God isn't in pieces, right? I mean, he doesn't partially, it's not like partial God we get, but it's partial us that lets parts of us not have him. Well, I don't want him in there because that will interrupt what I want to happen in that part of my life. But it's his love that can break all that down. Me wanting to do it my way is, is not loving to me. What does it look like to be filled to the measure with the fullness of God? You know, when Marie and I tell anyone that's not a regular church attender somewhere, uh, we start talking to them about us. Well, what do you do? And you say you're a pastor. Sometimes we don't want to say that. You know, we don't want to say that because the first thing they say, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I've been cussing around you. I'll watch my mouth from now on. That's what American Christianity has shrunk it down to, the most important thing. And you saw that all throughout the scriptures I just read, right? All about don't be cussing. I mean, that was, that was what it was all about. Jesus like, you know how I do all these miracles? I don't cuss. 
if you don't cuss, God is pleased with you, then you can do miracles. That's what he said, right? No. Sorry, I get a little ticked off. I get pissed. I have to spend 10 minutes with every new person that I say, I'm a Christian, you know, and I'm a pastor. They're like, oh my God, I got to spend 10 minutes explaining to them what that isn't to me. I'm sorry someone was ignorant to you and told you it was all about not cussing. And I only smoke a little now, you know, oh my God. No, that's not what we learned from Jesus. I am loved by God. You are loved by God. That's what it is. I know this. If I know this, then that's it. I'm so loved that Jesus sacrificed everything for me. And that knowledge, if I really believe that, can fill me so much that I can do things that I could have never done. I can love people that hate me, and I can. Not always. <laughs> not, not easily every time, but it happens. Fullness of God, it looks like love. It looks like Jesus. It's compassion. You know that I, I bring up the story every Oh, gosh, I want to bring up the story. Every time I preach about John the Baptist gets killed and Jesus is like, I want some me alone time. I need, let's go in a boat and get out of here away from the people. And he does. And when he lands, the people had ran to the next town to meet him. Here we are. <laughs> give, us, give us your time. And what did Jesus say? He's like, get away from me. I need me time. Right? No, he didn't say get away from me. I need me time. What did he say? He looked on them. One version explains how he looked on them and said, they are like sheep without a shepherd. And he felt compassion, and then he healed them all. Anyone that was sick, they were healed, and then he fed 5,000 like men, which was like 20,000 people he fed with a miracle. What did he do that out of? As long as you guys don't cuss, I'll feed you, you know? I mean, or, you know, if, if you... It didn't say anything about salvation either. He just loved it didn't say, if you listen to my salvation message, then I will heal you. No, he just felt compassion and said, they need me. I'm going to love on them, even though he was hurting. He was hurting. That's pretty much what me and you do, right? I mean, when I have my, when I want my alone time, this is what, I, that's how I act every time. I'm like, someone's like, want to interrupt me in my me time? And I'm like, oh, you little sheep, I want to hug you. Come here. Let's have a hug. That's not my instinct. My instinct is I'm going to find a way to darken out of this. You know, if I can, I need my alone time. And yes, you need your alone time. Jesus got it, but he waited till late at night to get it. Human me doesn't feel very compassionate. I need God's help. That's why there's a cool verse in 2 Corinthians 5.14 the, the simple little part of it, Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels me to love and give away my me time. Well, I, I could explain more in things I've done or whatever, but I, I got an awesome video clip that I want us to all watch, and then I'll come back up, but it's going to explain that better than me. I want to tell you a story 
that I told many, many years ago that remains dear to me, particularly because people bring it back up to me over and over again. It's probably the thing I've been asked about as much as anything regarding stories and Bible studies along the years. But it's such a statement in my own life and such a memory of God overtaking me and enabling me to do something I couldn't do. You have no idea how dangerous you would be if you would live filled to the measure with the fullness of Christ. I was headed off to uh, the east side of the country to Asheville, North Carolina to speak. So I was having to go to a part of the airport uh, that was just one large room where you went off into several different halls down to the smaller plane. So it was for a small airport and a small part of the, the terminal, it was packed, absolutely packed. And our chairs were all facing one another. And suddenly I see that the eyes of all the people against the wall are watching something behind me. And it was like a movie because all of their eyes shifted this way, this big around, and they began to come this way. Whatever it was, it was going right behind me. And I'm thinking, oh, I wish I were looking. Are you like that? I'm a people watcher. I was so desperately thought, what are they looking at? And I can't wait to look for myself until it comes all the way around here. And then suddenly in my peripheral vision, I begin to see a little of it. And it is a, a flight of hostess that is pushing up a man in a wheelchair right to the end of my row. And there's nobody between us. And this place is packed. So I want you to know that Jesus went to a significant amount of trouble to make sure that I saw this man. So I wait until everybody else gets more polite, and then I go. And when I look over at him, he was the oddest sight. He looked like he was not one iota less than about 129, and I'm not kidding. This was the oldest-looking person I had ever seen. Not only that, but he had gray hair that was down to here. His fingernails were every bit as long as mine. He was clean, but it's just an odd sight. His pants, it looked like that he had obviously lost a lot of weight because they were just bunched up. I'll never forget how he looked, and he was just, his head was just hanging down like this, and his hair was in strings like this. Huh? This is how much God thinks of us just memorizing Scripture but not do anything with it because the Lord begins to compel my heart. Overwhelms me. Overwhelms me. Well, I have learned, I've walked with him a long time. I knew by now, that is scary. That God is up to something when he is overwhelming your heart like that. And I just thought, oh, please, God, no. Oh, please, please, God, no. Because I'm already knowing he wants me to witness to this man. And so I say to myself in my spirit, now I'm not talking out loud, but in my spirit, I'm talking to God silently, and I'm saying, I'm sure my mouth is going. Because I say to him, do not make me witness to that man. And now I'm going to tell you, as clear as I'm talking to you now, the Lord spoke to my heart. Been very few times I've ever heard God be this articulate with me. And I'm telling you word for word, these words came into my heart. I'm not asking you to witness to him. I'm asking you to brush his hair. Lord, that man needs witnessing to. What good it's combed hair. If a man is lost, and I can tell, Lord, that man, I am your witness. I am your witness. I am your witness. I am your, I am your girl. Me. Me. I got the plan. I got the Roman road. Amen? Still in my heart. I mean, we are just having a fight. I didn't tell you to witness to him. I told you to brush his hair. I thought, 
I don't have a hairbrush. You know, I fix my hair. And then it's done for the day until I unfix it. And the brush is in the luggage. You understand what I'm saying to you? So I said, I don't even have a hairbrush. And I, the Lord's still compelling me. Come out. So I get up, walk over, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't even have a hairbrush. You know, I was supposed to be thoroughly equipped under all good work. I do not have a hairbrush. <laughs> I walk over, I get right in front of the man. His head's hanging down like this. I lean down like this. I said, sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? And he says, what? <laughs> a little louder. Sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? He goes, little lady, if you want me to hear you, you're going to have to speak up. <laughs> sir, may I have the privilege of brushing your hair? To which everyone at the airport goes, whoa. <laughs> And every, I can feel every eye just piercing me just like this. And I'm just humiliated. And he looks at me and says, if you want to. And I'm going, I don't. I don't, I don't want to. I went, yes, sir. I would absolutely love to. But my problem is, I don't have a hairbrush. He says, I have a hairbrush. He said, it's back in my bag. So I go all the way around the wheelchair. His bag is on the back of it like this. I get down on my knees. I unzip this little duffel bag, and I start pulling out his clean undershirts, his pair of pajamas, all sorts of things. And as I do, I cannot tell you the feeling that overwhelms me. I'm just flooded with the love of Christ. I found the hairbrushes. One of those real old uh, bristle ones doesn't look anything like our, our brushes do now. And, and when I stood up, I, I began then. I went over to him, and I thought, you know, to tell you the truth, this is what I'm good at. <laughs> I had two girls. I'm good at this. So I just came, and I just began to brush his hair, and it was so matted that I couldn't even believe it. And so I had to get down to the very bottom of it, and I, I just brushed the very ends of it. And then just a little bit, it took us forever. And I want to tell you, I was oblivious to everybody else in that room. At that point, nobody else was alive to me. I just kept brushing and kept brushing until that hair was as smooth as silk. I went back around to him and, and squatted down in front of him, put my hands on his hands. They were on his knees. His head was just like that. And I said, sir, do you know Jesus? And he said, yes, I do. I said, well, of course you do. <laughs> That figures. <laughs> I wanted to share the gospel with you. But no, you need your hair brushed. And he told me that his old bride of so many years would not marry him until he came to know Christ. And he said, I was just sitting here thinking to myself, and he wept. I'm about to cry telling you. He said, I was just sitting here thinking, what a mess I must be for my bride. He'd been in that hospital for months, and he was about to return back home. Nobody had cut his hair or anything. I don't know how long it had been since he'd been brushed. That hostess came and put him on the plane, and she came back out, and she was crying. I mean, hard. And she said, what made you do that? And I said, Jesus, he's the bossiest thing. <laughs> she did need Christ, so I did get to talk to her. She knows what our need is. Man didn't need witnessing to. He needed his hair brushed. When we are filled to the measure with the fullness of Christ, you sweet thing, you cannot believe the needs we can meet. We can do what we know we can 
And while you're doing it, you're just thinking, that ain't me. That is, that really ain't me. No. It's God. I put that near the end because I didn't want to follow that much, you know. When we're filled to the measure with God's love, even if we're fighting it while it's happening, there's no limit to what God can do through you, through me. Like Bob preached a couple weeks ago, it may be unexpected, <laughs> or it may be like that. It may not be what you're looking, what you thought it would look like to follow Jesus. You might be like Beth Moore in brushing someone's hair, a stranger's hair. Or like Jesus breaking the religious rules, healing someone on the Sabbath, or someone's trying to take away your me time. It can be like when someone's trying to take my me time, and then I remember and comprehend the love Jesus shows me when I'm needy. <clears throat> then I can, uh, with Christ's love, show that love to others and be interruptible. 